0: Well, let's get to the to uh, our study. In verse seven of chapter four, we sort of started that last week, but um, I want to continue and really, uh, I don't know what to finish that in this class means. To finish, I'm not sure what that means, but to make progress in our study, let's note again in verse seven. how the Apostle Peter starts this this particular section and if you're following uh, in your the note packet on, um, on it, off page 8 but um, he begins the end of all things is at hand and again I'm reading for the ESV translation and that's how they put it but I'm pretty sure most of yours are very similar to that aren't they mm-hmm. the end of all things is at hand And I know we talked about that last week, but in case you weren't here, just let's review that, make sure that's clear to you. From the Bible's perspective, I should maybe say from the New Testament's perspective, um, that's an accurate statement. Because from God's perspective, everything that needs to be done in the plan of redemption is, is done. And the next, that's fine, the next thing in God's program, the next event in God's program is, Uh, the Lord Jesus coming for his church what we sometimes call the rapture so from God's perspective the end of all things is near and the other thing to always remember and this is always hard for me uh, in my own personal uh, looking at things because my my major academic areas uh, in my four degrees have been history and historical theology but it's still difficult for me to have the perspective God has about time which is eternal God's not bound by time. The Bible says to God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now that's hyperbole, that's exaggeration in a sense, but the, the point that's being made is, from God's perspective, times are relevant because God's eternal. You and I are bound to space and time. God is not bound to space and time. And all I'm saying, by I'm perhaps adding here more than I need to but all, all that I'm saying here is that from God's perspective, the next thing to happen is the return of his son for uh, the church. And that sets off the final step for the end of history. When eternity, when the eternal state will begin. So that's all Peter is saying. Now, let's, let's think about that because the next the next part is, therefore, now, you all know what that means. Therefore. Because this is true, this should affect how you live. So, let's, let's look at a principle that is absolutely central to the Scriptures. God tells us about the future. And what He's doing is He's saying, because this is true, I made a promise to you, and everything I said about the future is you can bank on it. This, therefore, sure should affect how you live now. So the future promises and all that goes with that should affect how you live now. That's what he's doing. Because this is true, this should now be the effect. So that's profound in the Bible. Future promises this is how I put it as a principle of scripture. Future promises should affect present behavior. You with me? Some of you know, are looking at me with deer in the headlight look and I'm not sure you're with me getting it and all that. But that's really because like he says, the end of all things is near. Now that's from God's perspective. But because that's true, therefore it should affect how I live now. Now... Um, Why? The future prompt, why should future, thank you? Who, I who mean, got me, that was Woody, wasn't it? Thank you, Woody. I lost my job, I'm sorry. Me <laughs> For what? I got got <laughs> so <excited> <laughs> <Yeah>, That's <laughs> it. Don't worry about it, Woody. It is, don't worry about it, it's fine. I can, believe me, survive without coffee. Barely, but I can survive.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that, that's another that's question. Uh, a, a lady in one of my other bio the one that my wife goes with me to on a Sunday night—you uh, know—I don't know if you know this. And this is important. You do, but I was 70 in November, and they had kind of a little cake and everything at that group. And you know what? Her, she gave me a gift. She's one of the few people to give me a gift. You know what it was? It was a basket that was filled with 70 of these—not
1: uh-huh. not the little ones,
0: but 70 of these. Wow. Well. That that was that was wonderful. That was delightful. But you know who was not excited about that? Your
1: wife. My
0: wife. She was not <laughs> excited about that. She was Gee, not excited.
1: She those are going to last you for a long time. time. <laughs> she only lets you have one
0: day. <laughs> well, I can, What I can tell you is uh, there are no longer seventy of those Reese's in my house. My wife has dispersed them. <laughs>
1: oh,
0: As oh, gifts well, to other people. She's hidden some of them. So on. And did I ever lose my place. Um, oh, I know. I asked a, a question that wasn't rhetorical. Um, because God has told us about the future, he's made future promises, why does that, or why should that, or why must that affect how we live now? Do you understand my question? Why? Why? Why must it affect how we live? And I'm saying must. Maybe I shouldn't make it that strong. Why should it affect?
1: Because, Thoughts. Second Corinthians 5
0: Okay. It's, it matters to God how we live. It affects. You know, we can talk about this in a general sense, but it affects rewards and it's what what the Bible talks about it. Jesus talks about it this way. And I, this is very personal for me. When I go to be with the Lord, do you know what I want to hear him say to me? Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. That should, that should motivate us. Whatever it is God is asking us to do at, every, at whatever point in our lives, because future promises affect present behavior how I raise my kids, how I, I love my wife, how I do my work, how I care for the property God's given me, all of those things which are stewardships before him. Because when I die and I go to be with the Lord, I want to hear him say, well done. That's a motivation. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's When you read, uh, oh, like in Philippians or in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, or in, in uh, Paul's uh, words to Timothy, in 1 Timothy and Titus and Titus, he is saying to us, I, I, I'm like a runner. He uses an athlete. I'm like a runner, and I go for it with all my gusto. That's not Greek. That's just a you know, slang in English, because I want to hear the Lord say to me, good, well done. He said, I beat my body. You know, it's, it's figurative speaking. Figurative speaking, I'm like a boxer, but I'm doing that because I want to hear the Lord say to me, "Well done." So it's because that's because that's true. It affects how we live now, and so we are to always be. Th- my, I know I've told you this guys before. My mom used to say to me, "Jimmy, do you want to be doing that when Jesus comes back?" I was, you know, I was a typical boy. I, wasn't, I was a rebel. I always did the things. that wasn't. I always got dirty when she told me to stay clean. I always did what... And yeah, it's a typical boy, but that's what she would always say to me. Now, when my mom said that, she was trying to get me to behave. But at the same time, she was saying something that's really, really doctrinally true. Because that's what Jesus says in Matthew 25. He teaches a series of parables. You don't know when I'm coming the angels don't even know it. And here's what he says, but be ready. Be ready. And I know I've told you, as I started under a guy, he used to say to us, if you knew Jesus was coming back in exactly six weeks from this day, how would that change how you live? Great. And what's the correct answer to that question? It should not change your life. You should be living, you should be living Because Peter says the end of all things is at hand. So you're living as if the very next minute Jesus is going to come back. That's how we're supposed to live. So, you know, I I think I've said enough about this, but that's what Peter is is centering on. Okay, next question. How should this then affect how I live? What should it look like? So this way starts. First of all, he says, therefore be self-controlled. And I know we talked about this last week, so I'm not going to spend any time on that. But self control. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 8, and he says it in 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 10. I will not be mastered by anything. I think you could accurately paraphrase that. I will not be controlled by anything. And the inference says, Ephesians 5.18, I'll be controlled by the Spirit. And anything can control us. I mean, it isn't only, you know, drugs or those kinds of chemical substances or alcohol or pornography. It can be our work. It can can be another person who's so controlling and and, and so manipulative. Or it can be an iPhone. I mean, that's one of the things that concerns me about this up-and-coming generation. They are so controlled by the, the the smartphones and all of that technology. I mean, it's really controlling them. And I'm, you know, maybe some of you guys aren't like that, but I can do that. You know, I'm always looking at my kind of emails, texts. You know, well, you know, or I just the it's just horrible. You know, the very first thing I did this morning when I got out of bed, I plugged my I had my phone plugged in. I unplugged it as I'm walking out to the dining room to get dressed to go to the fitness center. I clicked on the news to find out who won the election. I didn't say good morning, Jesus. I didn't say thank you for a good night. The first thing I want to do is who won? And it's, you know, how do I find that out? Buy my phone. You know, I mean, and that's not evil. There's nothing wrong with that in a, in a sense. But it's just to be self-controlled is to be exercising through the Holy Spirit's power. The ninth fruit of the Spirit. If you go to Galatians 5, through 23 nine character traits are listed, and the ninth one is self-control. Because that's, that's a challenge that we all, we all face that. What is going to control us? Well, the answer is don't let anything control you. As an act of your will, allow the Spirit to control you. Second, the second quality, because of the future promises of the Lord, is to be sober-minded. Um, that's as soon as you hear "sober," you're you're thinking of of, of alcohol or or drugs or something like that. But obviously, uh, broadness. So, what does what does sober-minded mean? That's maybe not an easy. Uh, an easy term because maybe we're not as familiar with it, but what what comes to mind there? Objective. I'm sorry?
1: Objective. Clear. Authentic.
0: Objective. That's that's not, I didn't even think about that. What did you say? Authentic maybe. Authentic? Yeah. Joel?
2: The NIV says clear-minded.
0: Clear-minded. Okay. Okay, that's… Uh, unbiased. Unbiased. Um, To be clear-minded or unbiased or um, objective—what's um, that getting at?
2: Well, I think it, and I can't think of a single word to substitute, but I think it's talking here about being um, sufficiently serious about life and having the right set of priorities so that you're evaluating and constantly making decisions based on the right criteria?
0: What would be a great Old Testament word for sober-minded?
1: Decluttered?
0: Decluttered! De-cluttered. <laughs> I'm not sure that's in the Old Testament, but okay. that's great. What I, what I was looking for was like wisdom. To be sober-minded is to be wise the um, the Old Testament in uh, in Solomon Andrew what did you say where's Andrew Oh am I to use these alright I'm going to assume that's why he laid these here let's hope and pray it works it does look at that not great but oh, I hope they'll forgive me I, I didn't do anything wrong and so I'm going to write this again but let's, let's look at it this way. Sober-minded, uncluttered, one of you said, um, objective, authentic, sober-minded. I think that gets back to very much an Old Testament idea that you see in the Proverbs, you see in the Psalms, you see in Ecclesiastic. Words like this. Wisdom. Discernment. Uh, let me use one more here there are actually about eight but let me use one more <clears throat> when I talked to Proverbs uh, uh, in a Bible study a number of years ago we put a list of these from the Proverbs uh, together on a sheet and we kept coming back to them because they kept coming up to be sober minded um, who said uncluttered okay that's great because it's a great way to really say it's not a Hebrew word or Greek word but it's a great English word in the sense that to be sober minded to be uncluttered is to be always thinking from this vantage point. Do I know, can I know, can I understand God's perspective on this? God's perspective about time, God's perspective about material things, God's perspective about my emotions, all the things of life and God is saying to us, be wise, be discerning, be prudent, Be seek understanding. In other words, to be sober-minded is almost the opposite of living impulsively. To be sober-minded is the opposite of making um, uh, spur-of-the-moment decisions when you do have the time to think about a little bit. Emotional. Yeah, I mean, it's just... We're responding not if if all I did was make decisions and live on the basis of my emotions, I I'd have been guilty of murder 37 years ago. (laughs) You know, I mean, I would have. But that's that's to be sober-minded is to be clear, and I'll just use the words you guys were using: clear, objective, authentic, in an uncluttered way. In the words of the Old Testament, to be wise. To, to seek, to to seek the practical outworkings in my life and every moment of what I believe about God, about His priorities, and so on. Discernment. I, this, I use this with my children all the time, when they were growing up. Every choice you make has a consequence, and discernment is. Insight into the consequences of your choices. And so discernment, discernment comes with age, it comes with experience. And so a a follower who has the focus on God's promises of the future and so on is going to be someone that's discerning. I've learned, I mean, I've learned this in my own life, and I'm pretty sure you guys would agree whether we even thought about it from this angle or not. But as you grow, not only chronologically, but you grow in your walk with the Lord, you begin to truly get that insight. I know if I do this, this will be the consequence. Whether that's sin or not, it may or may not be a sin. But I do know that if I do this, it's going to have this consequence, which then could lead to an actual sin. You know, it's like I, would, I told my kids, I, you know, I'm not going to let you have a credit card. Until you get into college, I, you're not going to get a credit card. I'm not going to get one. I'm not going to put a sign for it. I'm not going to get it. Joanna, listened to me. My son did not, and he got a credit card. because you know how credit card codes are, and you know by by the time he, I found out he had it, he had a bill of almost three thousand dollars. And Peggy and I made it very clear to him, son, you have to pay this off. I am not bailing you out of this. Our instruction was we don't want you to get a credit card till you get into college. And uh you didn't do this. It was junior high school. So that whole summer he worked off. <laughs> well, I mean I you know maybe you don't agree with that decision that we made, but I taught I think we taught Jonathan something there. That an impulsive decision it's so easy to get a credit card for my goodness, it's there's just nothing to it. But discernment is insight into that and that gets you back to the first one self-control prudence that's a little more difficult but the, the, the prudent the prudent lifestyle is a lifestyle that is always seeing of the choices i have which really is the best for me it's not necessarily a choice of sin and not sin but prudence is just that as as i begin to to discern and, and wise i which is the best for me of course that's the kind of insight that experience gains but also the scriptures give us and so on and then understanding is, is just really grasping if you have time and we don't always have time but understanding is grasping all of the implications of something it's, it's really under, do I understand the difference between um, I don't know I'll, I'll, I'll say this this kind of, of mortgage and this kind of mortgage and I, I'm using that because Joel's in the room and he's a banker, but it's, you know, there are lots of options out there and it, it really takes time to investigate it. And it takes time to just really figure out which one is really the best for us at this point and so on. So it's, to be sober-minded, to be sober-minded sober is the mark of a spiritually mature person. It really is. Because that's a person who, they're they're clear and they're discerning and they're decisive. It's the opposite of being impulsive. That's why a four-year-old is not sober-minded, nor is a four-year-old wise. A four-year-old is certainly not discerning. (laughs) But did you notice what he says? For the sake of your prayers... Why is Peter tying sober minded with praying? For me personally, if
1: I'm walking in sin, I don't pray. I, I, it's almost like I duck
0: around the corner. God. You kind of ignore God and. Yeah. 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 What if you're not particularly dealing with sin issues, although that is obviously going to very much affect your life. But to be so, what if you're a believer and there's not, you're not showing a particular sin, but you're still being very impulsive in your decision making? or you're just a young. Why, why does he tie it to praying? Okay. That's God's will for us. Okay. Absolutely. If you're impulsive and uh, immature and just kind of flying by the seat of your pants, what's your prayer life going to look like? What are you going to be talking to God and asking God about? treat them like Santa Claus and one area. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean that's it. it yeah. it's it's just that kind of, it's it's not that that's evil, but it's 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 the the kinds of things that you pray for and the nature and scope of your prayer life if you're impulsive flying by the seat of your pants is different from someone sober minded mature their prayers are going to be a little bit different. And he's connecting the two to being... I don't know how to put this. If you're sober-minded, in light of everything we've been talking about here the last four or five minutes, you'll have the right perspective about what to pray for. You'll, you'll get... Can I put it this way? The closer you and I get to having the mind of Christ, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 2.16... I understand that to mean I'm, I'm developing God's perspective on things. And God's perspective on things which I gain as I study His Word, etc. I, I, begin, I begin to pray differently. I can tell you right now, and I hope you understand the spirit which I'm saying, what Peggy and I pray for now, she's 69, I'm 70, is a lot different than what we were praying for when we were 45. A part of that is difference of our ages and our kids and all that stuff but it's it's just there's a much different vantage point when it comes to our prayer life now than it was 20 30 years ago sober-minded again in light of everything we've been saying about it affects how you pray we talked about that last week in the previous uh, material God is interested in us lining up our intellect emotion and will with his intellect emotion and will that's sober-minded and that affects what we pray for now I just uttered two sentences that do they make sense <laughs> these are not pronouncements from some spiritually mature person don't miss don't un- you're misunderstanding it Because I am still wrestling with this. If you could chart my prayer life over a week, you would see I utter a lot of very self-centered prayers that are often selfishly oriented. That's who we are. But at the same time, I can tell you to God's glory, there's a lot more of my prayer time is focused on other people and other needs that just, Lord, help me To be a part of the solution for that person's struggles. Which is teaching the word of God and talking and counseling and that kind of thing. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, to be sober-minded helps us to gain the perspective God wants us to have. It's all of these things that we're talking about here. So that then our our prayer life is affected by the eternal perspective of things. Okay, Let's. Do you, do, you think, do, you, do you want me to talk a little more about that? I, I mean, this is something, honestly, that this is something I've really learned in the last couple of years. That um, as I always seek to try to get God's perspective on things, it should really affect how I talk to him, what I talk to him about, and the priorities of what I talk to him about. <laughs>
1: I think that's good. Is is so reminded you're, you're talking about the important things, the real priorities, not, mm.
0: not the frivolous extent mm. the stuff. Mm. And the, I think the real priorities in life come from a, an understanding of eternity. An understanding of what is really really important to God.
1: Maybe also an understanding of what God's true will for us
0: is. Mm
1: He wants us to love and care for other people and be a a problem solver, Mm. seeking solutions, Mm. but his will, Mm. not
0: ours. And And his 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 will for our, our lives is not only the very specific thing, should I buy this house, should I buy this car, whatever. It's all of the things we're talking about. This is the will of God for us right here. I mean, this isn't the will of God just for Jim. This is the will of, for all of us. Yes. The end of all things is, is, is at hand. Therefore, this is how I want you to live. That's, in fact, what God's saying to us through Peter. This is how I want you to live. And so it, this is his will. I, I've, heard, I've told you, students always say, what's, what's God's will for my life? And my response class, I've said it to him thousands of times over the last 25 years, is 96% of God's will for your life is already revealed. And how do you find that out? By being in his word. I mean, that's not being trite. But then, then, okay, setting that aside, what is it you really want to talk about? Should I marry this girl? I've been dating her for 16 months. I really care for her. I really love her. Should I marry her? <laughs> That's what that student meant by what's God's will for my life. Go on. You were going to say something. I just, I just.
1: The, the more we read the word, the more we we seek to the way God wants us to live.
0: Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, he gave us a lot of choices that we can do wrong. We can make the wrong choices. But uh, as we read, we find out more about as
0: well for us, mm. Mm. and always the encouragement and uh, nudging from His Spirit and the mutual encouragement of others to um, to live in loving obedience with the Lord, to avoid the things that we know will be harmful to us and harmful to others. Yeah. Thirdly, now the first two sort of affect our character, the qualities of our life, the choices we we make. But verse 8 begins to focus on others. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since, and this is a very famous phrase that's quoted an awful lot, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now you can approach that love covers a multitude of sins from two angles. <clears throat> you can approach it from the divine angle. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's the love of God. Manifested and shown in Jesus. In his death, burial, and resurrection for us. That covers our sins. Because the word covers, the covers of, is atone. The word atonement comes from that. In the Old Testament, cover—that's what atone means. Cover. Now Christ's death and, and and resurrection for us once for all covered our sin. Covers a multitude of sins, covers all our sin. there's charity. He'll cover the multitude of sins. Yeah, yeah. But you can address it at the the personal human level. That our love for one another covers a multitude of sins because we all are sinners and sometimes our sins hurt and affect others one of the major, major premises of the Bible is there's no such thing as a private sin sin affects other people you have to think about that but that is definitely true it affects every relationship you're in over time. Yeah, I mean you can think of that at so many levels. And so what Peter is saying here is love one another. That that should really that should really mark the relationship you have. Keep loving one another because love covers them all too. Saint Proverbs chapter ten, verse twelve says the same thing, in effect. Solomon is making an observation about life, and he says, You know, I have noted in interpersonal relationships, love covers the hurt of sin. What's another word for that? Forgiveness. Being able to forgive love covers a multitude of sins it covers it it atones it covers it but it enables us it enables us to forgive ourselves and to forgive others my church we've just started a relationship with this ministry it's called fresh start i don't know if any of you are familiar with that it's really a remarkable ministry we we, uh, became acquainted with it uh, last year we uh, i 'm on staff at the church, and uh, we met with their their leadership last year and then met with them again. We had them come late this summer and do a, a mini workshop with our leaders, our board and our uh, leaders of our church and we 've now uh, established a relationship with them. what the, the whole idea of fresh start is fresh start in life for the believer is is really really the, the, the beginning of that is forgiveness. Being able to forgive, and what they do, uh, and I'm sure you know this, but um, you know, we live in a day and an age where um, abuse, abuse is often a characteristic of of an experience that uh, young adults have had in their lives. And good night, it could be older adults too. Um, I, I just I found that out in my years in academic ministry. Uh, with my students and uh, so on. As you develop a a friendship with them, you eat in dining commons with them, and they'll get to a point where they'll say, can I talk to you about something? And they'll come and and I never know, well, I don't do that much anymore, but I never would know what they were gonna say. And I don't ever do this with women. I didn't think that was wise for me to do that, but with the, the guys. And you know how many times guys would come to me and say, you know, my father abused me as a boy my uncle abused me as a boy. And they would talk, sometimes in explicit detail, of what happened. And you know, that marks that little, well, he's an adult now. And you know, some of that, I just, I'm not a therapist, so I never could take it very deeply. But I learned this, I learned this from Ephesians 4, because out of that, in that young man's heart, was tremendous bitterness towards dad. That tremendous, or his uncle, and, and or another relative, or whatever, um, and that is—I again, I don't work with women, but I know from our, our, our female SDO people that was the case with a lot of gals too. Um, I'm using it just as a specific example, and the the result of that is tremendous bitterness. And so what what Fresh Start does is it just helps helps these students or adults or older adults, whatever, just work through this. And and the, the, the New Testament principle is forgiveness. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and malice and slander and anger be put away. What do you put in its place? Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. That's part of what Peter is getting at here. The loving acceptance and forgiveness is what covers sin. Now, um, so any comments or questions? This is we're getting into some areas that this is a bit uncomfortable. It's More uncomfortable for men to talk about this often than for women. But this is because this is a this is a level of our lives that our tendency is just to suppress it and set aside, pretend it isn't an issue. <clears throat> but I mean, it is. It's a real issue. I mean, I um, and I, Joel is very aware of this. But I have wrestled in uh, the last six, seven months with real bitterness toward a man. His name is David Barnes, the former president of the school that I led, and I, it's it's been intense. It's better than it was, but um, because I watched what he did, and I found this out last year, I watched what he did to the school I led, and when I found out the details of what he had did, what he had done, and now to where the the, the situation, the board uh, apparently had no other choice than to just close the school because of the mess he had created, I I had real bitterness in my heart real bitterness to my heart. And every day, and I'd a lot better than it was uh, four or five months ago, but every day I still have to say, Lord, you have to take care of this. Because if not, it's, it just, it's, it's almost enslaving because you just can't get beyond that. And that's not how God wants us to live. That's what happens often when, and I, I apologize some of you have perhaps gone through this, that's what often happens in a divorce situation where your partner leaves you for somebody else. And there's, as, as has been said, that's almost like a death, that it's so hard to accept that. And the bitterness that you, you feel, and then that affects how you think, of, what was wrong with me that my partner left me for somebody else? What was wrong with me? And it becomes, it becomes something that almost, or I, I should say it can become self-destructive. So Peter is saying, The agape, the selfless or other-centered love that you are to show toward one another covers sin. That ability and capacity and enablement to forgive and put it behind you covers sin. Boy, that's that's an easy statement to read. It's, It's a difficult one to put into practice apologize for being transparent there about the last several months of my life, but uh, that's the reality. I'm just letting you know that no stretch have I made it in any of these areas. Is Uh, it healthy to own emotions? Oh, no question. No question. And I mean to then know um, to know how to begin to deal with it. Yeah. How to begin to deal with it. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it, it's instructive to think of a, a verse 32 of Ephesians 4. Because what's our standard? Forgive one another. You know, be, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And what does he say? Just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. I mean, if anybody has a, a right to hold a grudge against me, it's God. <laughs> because of my rebellion against him and all that over my life. But that's not how God deals with us that's our standard
1: I recently seen or read that the Pope had suggested a change in the Lord's prayer and uh, I wonder if you have any thoughts on that and uh, it almost makes sense because God would you know, it says lead us not in temptation
0: and, and, and I think we're taught that God's not going to lead us into temptation. But the second part of that clause is but deliver us from evil and the Greek there is literally, it could be personalized, but deliver us from the evil one. Meaning okay. Satan. Yeah. Now uh,
1: you're talking about forgiveness I'm sorry. yeah
0: no that's um, <laughs> well it's legitimate can I can I make a comment about that without it sounding critical of sure. Francis I? first yes. um, my own view is that I think he's misunderstanding what is going on there in the text the word that is sometimes translated temptation you can look at this in James chapter 1 for example. The, word, the Greek word for temptation can also be translated trial. It's the same word in Greek. Trial. trial. Uh, now, now are you with me so far? In other words, that, that Greek term, when you're in the New, all over the New Testament, it can be either translated trial or temptation. Now a trial in the Bible, and this is very clear, a trial is always understood as a test of my faith. God is going to use God is going to permit me to go through this so that my faith will be strengthened. But a trial can lead to a temptation. Because a temptation is an enticement to do something wrong, an enticement to evil. So I think what what Jesus is saying there when he instructs us how to pray, Lord, in your superintendence of my life, Do not lead me, because we are to follow the Lord. Do not lead me in my life into situations that may or may not be a trial, but in all probability could become a temptation. Because I'm always going to depend upon you to deliver me from the evil one who can take a trial and easily turn it into temptation. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? that's, That's really the intent of what Jesus is saying there. Lord, as you lead or as I follow, don't take me. Don't take me through situations that could lead me to be tempted. I understand you're always growing and testing my faith because you know, Lord, as well as I do, that ultimately what I'm depending on is you will always deliver me. You always deliver me from the power of the evil one. and what I'm really trusting you on that. That's really what he's saying there. So, so does the
2: Greek word lead mean?
0: What no, way? not lead. The word, oh, lead. Yeah. You're... you're, you're, you're you yes. into temptation. Yeah. So
2: does the Greek word literally mean lead as we would understand it here? But somebody,
0: as, we are, as we are obediently following him. And obediently yielding to Him in our lives, we're trusting You, Lord, that no matter where You lead me, it's not going to—it's not going to result in temptation. But always, always deliver me. Always keep me safe from the evil one. That's really what He's saying. Because the expectation, the understanding is—that's what James says in one verse two: "Count it joy when you encounter various trials." And the word "trials" there in verse thirteen is translated temptation.
2: I think we all know what our weaknesses are spiritually, and, and I, I'd like to think that most of us take steps to avoid stepping into those arenas where we could be absolutely. So, you know, as I think about what you just said there, I mean, it's, it's like asking the Lord to kind of help you do what you're already trying to do yourself, which is to avoid those pitfalls.
0: you got it, Jim. You got it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, because the assumption is certainly that's true in that statement of Jesus. The assumption is you're going to be walking with me and following me through life. And that's in doing it and it's that right perspective about so Lord really help me to be doing the things that I know you want me to do because I want to stay away from temptation. I know you're going to take me through trials but I want to stay away from temptation." But I always know you are the only one that can deliver me from the evil one. And I'm counting on you to do that. All right. Wow. Verse 9. The fourth quality. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I have no idea what that means. Do you? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> I know what it means. I say, why can't we have somebody over? I'll have to clean the house.
0: <laughs> I think you know this, but let's just make sure. There are two ways to think about this. Number one, in the ancient world um, there weren't the hotels and there were inns, that, come, but for the most part, not common or person couldn't afford it, but if if you were going to travel, you needed to depend upon the hospitality of people, and so Jan- uh, Peter is saying here, among believers, because to one another that that is, is is believers, be hospitable to one another, take care of them if you're traveling or uh, whatever, and, and when you do that, do it without grumbling. <laughs> You know when we lived in agricultural settings as in the history of civilization or we lived in the tight urban densely populated areas hospitality was very common and it was just the way you lived everything was so tight but now as we get into our you know, modern now 21st century living where often we have our own homes and sometimes we live in gated communities i mean all of those things hospitality is not the norm at all. So I, when I read this and study this, I always think, boy, that really applies to the 21st century. Like John just said, we're having such and such over for... Oh, no, I don't want to have them over for dinner because this is what they're going to do and they're going to mess up this room. and All of those things. <laughs> uh, the word for that is grumbling. You know, so. Why is... Um, Let's think about Do we have time yet? Um, why is this such an important thing to bring up? I mean, he, he lists four things. This is the fourth of four that he lists. And you think, why do this? Why bring this up?
1: Well, it's a witness to others in one way, you know, of how you think about people and, and treat them. And,
0: absolutely absolutely. Um, let's look at it from another angle how should you look at your home or your apartment or what, wherever you live it belongs to God, belongs to God. as you know uh, throughout the scriptures that is always referred to as a stewardship In Greek it's oikonomia. we get our word economy from that God gives you something; He doesn't have to do that. He's not mandated to do that, but He gives it to you. And He looks at it as a stewardship. How are you going to use that? You're going to take care of it. You're going to manage it well. Are you going to use it for my glory and serving others? That's that's really the idea in back of this. It doesn't belong to you anyway. So use it.
1: We have to vacuum and everything. <laughs> yeah, we got rumors
0: now. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, do any of you have that little thing that, auto, that automatic? that Just got one. Yeah. Do you? I mean, do they really work? I mean, does that really? Okay. Use it for a couple of months and let me know because my wife has her eye on that. She's emails really. Emails you
1: when it's done. Huh? Yeah, he even emails you when it's done. What? Yeah. So I'm, I'm clean. That looks good. Wow. <laughs>
0: Yeah, after you use it for a couple of months, let me know because my wife really has her eye on this. She's month, she's yeah. been talking about it for quite a while. But Christmas is so close. John. Huh? Yeah, yeah Christmas. Yeah. Is <laughs> well, I want to I want to be wise and discerning <laughs> and prudent
1: <laughs>
0: and not spend money on something that you know she she wouldn't yeah, use. End, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But uh, that's just, that's that's great that you brought that up, because she has talked about that. <laughs> um,
2: I talk about discernment. Uh, we just bought
1: a new freezer. You talk about discernment. Oh. Curing feet, oh. <laughs> self-defrosting, manual defrosting. energy, <laughs> Yeah yeah do you
0: remember when we have to when we used to have to defrost do you remember that yeah i remember my mother doing that And our our first refrigerator was like that oh my goodness wow. all right that's uh, we have another minute to just let us let me look at the next verse and, and we'll pick up with this next week as each has received a gift used to serve one another what's he referring to there what, what's he talking about? Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. The Greek word for this, is, if you don't mind, just let me put this up. Is charistos. You might have heard something charismatic or caress. Charistos. That's the word he's using here. I'm sorry. I put a an s in there. just charistos. No s in there. But uh, that's, that's referring to, as, as one of you said, Joel said, I think, that's spiritual gift. In other words, this is what, and you have to go to 1 Corinthians 12, it's a whole chapter on the details of this. So Peter doesn't deal with this, he just assumes we know it. As each of you has received a gift, a spiritual gift, <coughs> what's the purpose of it? Use it to serve one another. Now, again, we don't have a lot of time, but what are some of the spiritual gifts? <clears throat> well, if you go to, like, First Corinthians 12, uh, or Romans 12, actually, both chapters, have, like, a list of some of the gifts, like the gift of mercy, the gift of faith, the gift of teaching, gift of preaching, uh, very broadly, the gift of serving. Um, but verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12 makes it very clear. The spiritual gifts are given to edify other believers, to build up other believers, to encourage other believers. That's what he's saying here. God never gives a gift, spiritual gift. Now, we're talking about an enablement for service so that you feel warm fuzzies. That's one of the challenges in the modern Pentecostal movement of speaking in tongues. I, I, I don't want to get into the, all the details of that, but so often, that's really abused. People practice that just to feel good. I've had a spiritual high. And that's a horrible way, a cynical way to put it. But if that's, if that's why you're exercising the gift, you're abusing the gift. God doesn't give a gift for that reason. Gifts are given to edify to serve others. And notice how he puts it. As good stewards, and there's that word, it's oikonomia. We got our word economy. As good stewards of God's very grace. So you use a gift to serve others, and when you do that, you're a good steward. You're managing that gift well. My conviction is, for whatever this is worth, just to make it personal, my conviction is one of my spiritual gifts is teaching. And I want to use that gift for God's glory to serve others. And I so that's the perspective I have because I want to hear the Lord say to me when I go to heaven, Jim, well done, you've done what I wanted you to do with that gift. Now you know there's so many there's so many ways to look at this in, in all of the gifts and so on, but it's it's about serving others. It's about that love. It's about that thinking of others. In, 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 you, could, could the word talent be
2: substituted there? Giving you a talent.
0: I think almost always the, the the spiritual gifts that God gives us match up with our God-given talents. In other words, how he made us. But I'm not sure there's synonyms necessarily. But it, it, there, there's definitely a connection there. This, I maybe shouldn't have started this. I have a whole... Uh, Sessions. On, I have about three different sermons I've done on this. I, I was asked to do a sermon series one time on the spiritual gifts. And so that this is a very difficult subject to deal with in four minutes like I just tried to do. So that was not wise for me to try to do that. Perhaps the most important thing as we leave this and, and pick up with it next week is this whole idea. This whole idea, again, follows everything he's been saying. God gives you something be a good steward of it. Your house, your car, your children, your job, your money, your portfolio. Be a good steward of it. Manage it well. Praise the Lord. Well, we'll pick up with this next week. Um, let me pray here and we'll get out. I'm sure. Lord, thank you for Peter's great challenge to us this morning. And I, I Thank you for that significant principle that future promises should determine present behavior. The end of all things is at, is at hand, Peter says. That's the future. That's the closing of all the things of history. That's all wrapped around the return of Jesus, which is the next event in your program. How should that affect our lives now? That's what Peter's talking about. Lord, help us to, to be men who are self-controlled. We're not allowing other things to control us or indeed even other people. We are submitting to and allowing you through your Holy Spirit to control us. We're men who are wise. Men who understand and are, gra- are grasping your perspective on all things, which affects how we even pray. We're men who are beginning to understand that loving and, and forgiveness toward other people, covers all of their betrayal, all of their hurts that they may have given to us. And we're hospitable. We look at our lives and all that you've given us as stewardships and help us to be those kinds of men. Um, Lord, this is hard. It's often difficult because it's teaching us and challenging us in areas that we're often not very comfortable with. But this is what life change looks about like. This is what transformation looks like. Be with these men. Watch over them the rest of this day and this week. Give them your enablement and all their responsibilities as dads, as husbands, as granddads, as bosses, and all the responsibilities they have. May they represent you well in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. See you next week.